0: Alright, welcome to the Red Alert Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chap, along with my co-host, Cindy Berry, and we're talking Red Wings Hockey because we were a little bit on a wall, and we didn't know we were going to do this because we're trying to figure out when we are going to do this podcast, but we're here. are talking hockey. Cindy Berry is alright. She's all good. She's good.
1: It's she- all good. I'm trying to keep it all together, you know, because I am I got an election coming up in a few weeks, and uh, uh, anybody who runs elections and worked in elections will tell you it's it's insanity. It's like... Take the postseason in the NHL and multiply it by about five, and that's what it's like. It's, it's a
0: str- it's a stressful time for Cindy, and we're not <laughs> talk- we're not talking about like stress like um like she's trying to go on a six zero and one run like the Ravens have went on this heater that they've been on, but we're talking a little bit of stress like uh, she might lose her hair, so it's all good.
1: Yeah, and God forbid if that happens because I because that that's that's all I got left and it ain't much, but anyway. <laughs> hey, Joe, I'm excited to talk about the Wings, man. Who would have thought that they would have gone on a run like they've gone on? I mean, we talked about it, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, last time when we did the pod, and we talked about the path to 10, right? Uh, Darren McCarty, good friend of mine, good friend of the show, uh, he talked about the fact that the Wings needed to win, you know, five out of the next – or, uh, excuse me, eight out of the next 10, and we were trying to figure out how we can do that. And so um, – we, we kind of threw some scenarios out there. They had just won against the L.A. Kings out in L.A. And uh, who would have thought, man, I, who would have thought that the Wings would have beat? The biggest sh- shock for me uh, was the Maple Leafs, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I had them beating the Ducks. They did that, picked up two points. Uh, Edmonton, uh, I had them winning against Edmonton, and I'm gonna make the argument, Joe. They did, in fact, win, they lost, but they at least got a point out of it. To me, that's a win. And when you're going up against, you know, um, you know, Connor McJesus, you know what I'm saying? So, um,
0: (laughs) that's exactly it.
1: I mean, you know, you take your points, right? So the fact that they picked up a point there to me, it's a win, but even though it was uh, technically a loss on a tie, uh, then they, you know, they beat the Kings. Kings come here, they win again, pick up another two. I had them losing in Toronto and, uh, I think actually you might've had them winning in Toronto. Um, and, and you'd have been right. Cause I had them losing to Toronto and I had them actually losing to F- the Florida Panthers and, or they on a streak. Um, but it turns out they won both of those. I mean, how, I mean, how much better can it get? I, I didn't like the fact that the Panthers got a point out of them, but, uh, but I'll take those two all day long. Cause it catapulted us right up there. Uh, you know, up in the standings. So now that we're back in the playoff race.
0: Well, you know, you got to be happy with just getting a point against a team. That's won 11 straight, right? The Edmonton Oilers won 11 straight games. Uh, well, now they've won 11 straight games, but they've been on a complete tear. So to get one point against them, and that's like your only blemish on your record. You're right. This is, this is a good thing for the Red Wings because look, no one, no one here is like, Oh, they're going to go seven. and Oh, and, and went seven straight. You know, if you're going to drop one along the lines. But if you drop a game that you played competitive hockey in, you played a great team, it was a great – you went to overtime with the team that won 11 straight games, you deserve all the credit in the world. All the credit in the world. And the in this team deserve a lot of credit because when you look at the way that they've been playing, we're going to talk about it, the defensive hockey, the great play that they played – it's, it's just great to see because this is a team that should have been, you know, I heard, I heard the talking on 97 when the it today. And I was, I heard him say they played 16 games in 24 days. Insane. So now they're starting to find their stride and this is a perfect time to find your stride.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and in fact it was really necessary because we were getting to the point where you're coming into that all-star break and you've got to make up some ground there because if you still find yourself behind the eight ball, Coming in, you know, after that All-Star break, you really have a very steep mountain to climb. And, I mean, uh, St. Louis Blues did it a few years ago, but it is very, very, very unlikely. And you're really making things difficult for yourself. So, um, Wings just started doing all the things that we've all talked about they needed to do. They needed to start playing more defensive hockey. And they started to do that. That's really what the big game changer is here. I mean, I, I, unbelievable the defensive hockey that they're playing. And they've gotten extraordinarily, I think, very, very good at it the last several games. Uh, you got situations where, um, you know, you don't have guys taking stupid penalties. You've got them playing better on home ice. Yep. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's all those kind of things combined with, and what we talk about, Joe, all the time. And I think some people like to gloss it over, but... The intangibles, right? The confidence, yeah. the momentum, the culture, yep. those things right there are absolutely massive. And a lot of kind of your average or casual fans tend to overlook them or, hey, they're just looking at the stats and the numbers and they're just looking at the real the technicalities of the game. But those three things really do feed into performance every bit as much as making the technical adjustments.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's great to see this team play the way they're playing. I have a couple of stats for you, Cindy, because I know you like stats and facts. And, you know, you and your little <laughs> political realm, that, you know, sometimes facts are illusions to some people, you know. But it's but all anyways, about the
1: numbers, baby. That's how it is.
0: I was surprised by these stats. I don't know if you're surprised by these stats, but you got to you got this. Is, this is what this was surprising to me. So the, the Detroit Rabbings are second least. So they're one of the best teams in rebound goals against. So they give up the least amount of rebound goals. So I, you know, I know I was talking about the goalie situation and how it yeah. needed to be rectified to be second in the league in rebound goals. That means your, your goalies are getting on pucks and they're not letting them go. I take that. That's a very good sign and it's a good sign for your defense too, because that means they're somewhere in the area to help, you know, clear the net. They are on the offensive side again, on the offensive side, they're, Fourth in rebound goals four, so they're getting a lot of rebounds and they're scoring. So that means they're in front of the net, in the front of the opposition's front of the net. And then they're third in high danger shots against. So they're one of they're the third best team in high danger shorts shots against, which is just on five on five, and that's a very key critical statistic that a lot of people kind of overlook because when you think about the you think about high danger shots against, you're you're talking about someone having a really good day, you know, a very good high percentage shot, you know, coming down the wing or coming down the pike, you know, they're, they're going to label it in there and for you to kind of clog up those zones so they're not getting the high danger shots. That tells me a lot.
1: Right. So, you know, one of the other things you mentioned, Joe, and I just want to touch on it is the goaltending, right? Um, Colt talked a little bit about, you know, they're defending the goal, the net better. Uh, let's talk about that. Goaltending was a huge liability. We knew this. Everyone knew it. We've been talking about it since last year. Unfortunately, you know, our starting goaltender, Willie Huso, gets injured. But what a surprise have we seen in Alex Lyon um, – and, and it's interesting because I, I will go back and give you credit every time, Joe. You said that he was one of those guys to watch. He could be one of the most surprising players was Alex Lyon. Yep. So look at look at what Alex Lyon has been able to show that he can do. He can come up and step up to the plate when he needs to. He just had to be given an opportunity. And then you've got, you know, Reimer. Reimer has come through in some huge plays. But I think the story is absolutely Alex Lyon. And now that Billy Huso is going to be kind of coming back from injury and they're going to have to reincorporate uh, him into the lineup, my concern here is that what kind of an adjustment is there going to be made? Because if I'm the Red Wings, I'm not sure I want to make any changes right now. Things are going good. Things are things are working well. And if, if Lion is hot, I think they're going to want to keep him in net and then kind of backfill with Reimer. I think you see, you know, here you have your depth goaltender, right? Third down in the depth chart, actually starting more games. And I think why why fix it if it's not broken? Let's stick with what's working.
0: Well, I will say this, Cindy. It's very important to have two goaltenders, even three. So if Huso comes back and he's not playing as many games, and at some point you're going to need Huso. That's just the re- that's the reality of the situation. You're going to need Billy Huso at some point. Do I think you can count on James Reimer? Probably not. But you're going to need Billy Huso at some times. Now, last year we talked about this at Nauseam. The reason Huso struggled at the end of the year is because he played too many games. And this is the biggest part of this whole equation with Alex Lyon because we know that he's a goaltender that has predominantly been a minor leaguer type goalie, but the last two years he's really turned it on and been very spectacular. If you if you want to be honest, and the fact of the matter is this: if Alex Lyon went back into the tank, you can go get Billy v- who as your goalie. And if and if for some for happen chance that Steve Eiserman thinks that there's a deal for a goaltender. Which a lot of teams need goaltenders in the NHL. It's it'll be a lot different, but that's what that's what I think about this whole situation.
1: Well, I'll tell you, if Steve goes shopping for a goaltender and he ends up having to drop one of the ones we got, I think I think you're probably going to see maybe I think he'd probably like to offload Rimer, uh, but yet Billy Huso might have more trade value. What are your thoughts? I don't see him trading lion. I don't see him getting a line to make room for someone else.
0: No, I don't think Lion's going to go anywhere, and I just think the way he's been playing, you can't risk it with you know the way Huso is playing before his injury, and then James Reimer is an up and down kind of thing. So it's kind of the situation of you would like to not have three goalies on the roster, but you might have three goalies on the roster, or someone takes a chance, or someone you you drop someone down. And they might get claimed. That's the that's the reality of the situation because I think if you put any one of these goalies on waivers, I think they're getting picked up in the next day. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of teams in the NHL that need a goaltender right now. And if you okay. drop if you drop Alex Lyon down, he'll get claimed. If you drop uh, Reimer down, he's probably gonna get claimed. You drop Huso down,
1: he's, he's probably definitely get claimed. claimed. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's what's the that's the situation that Eiserman has to deal with right now. And to be honest, I think that it's such a good situation for him because I think you can focus on other areas of need because I think the goalie position is as good as it's going to get at this point. You know.
1: Let me let me ask this. Here's something that I'm I'm seeing in a lot of the chat boards and a lot of things online. There's a lot of discussion about the value of um, Patrick Kane. And we talked a little bit about it last week, but it's it just this it's dogging the comments in a lot of these conversations on a lot of the on a lot of the conversation boards. Uh, you know, some people saying it's like either they love him and they think, oh, yeah, he's been a great asset. It's it's undeniable. You look at the numbers, how many goals and, and points he's put up in the games that he's played. Uh, now he's gotten, you know, hurt again, um, but it, apparently not seriously. But anyway, it's got people talking. And some people are saying, oh, we started losing when, Al- when uh, Patrick Kane came in. Other people said, no, look at the numbers. He's producing it. it. was just the circumstances and so on and so forth. I am going to go on the record tonight. I've done it before, but I'm going to double down on this. I Not only do I want them to keep Patrick Kane for the balance of this season, I'm really hoping they can lock Patrick Kane down in an extension For at least another two years, because I think that's when the wings are really going to be competitive for the cup, either next year or the following year. And I think that was always the plan. But to have landed Patrick Kane now that we got him, I think we got to do, you know, as much as we possibly can within reason to keep him because his value not only as a producer, but also as a veteran presence, my understanding is. He's, he's got a lot of, uh, again, intangibles that are going on on the ice as well as off the ice with regards to the dynamics of the young players in the team. He's very professional. Um, you know, the guy's clearly a pro and he's a producer. So I just think there's all kind of reason to keep Patrick Kane, and uh, I think he might be amenable to staying somewhere. He, he You know, we talked about this before, and I actually had a conversation with a former coach who disagrees with me, by the way, he thinks Patrick Kane's going to go where the money is. At the end of the day, it's a business, Cindy. Don't you know that? I'm saying, you know what? I'm I'm in my business, too, and I've been in it a long time, kind of like Patrick Kane. <laughs> the Patrick Kane of politics. Wouldn't that be something? I don't claim to be, but why not? And, um, you know, the, the reality is you have the luxury of choosing where you want to work and who you want to work with. And I don't think it's any different in hockey than it is in any other industry or, you know, Whatever. I think we can get Patrick Kane. I think we should. What say you, Mr. Chap?
0: All right. I, I've seen the message boards and the group post and all that stuff. And and this whole logic that Patrick Kane's been a bad thing for this Red Wings team is absolutely stupid. And it's insane to even think about. And there's people th- saying that if, if they're in a situation, should they train Patrick Kane? I don't think they're going to be in that situation. See, I think what fa- what happens with with fans, is, and I know there's a coach that you talk to, and he's partly a fan too, so that's that's where it comes from. But partly what what these fans think is that the sky is falling during those small losing streaks, and the sky is so high when you're in the winning streaks. You know what I'm saying? There is a little like a little in between that you're you're trying to think about. And when we talk when we talk about Patrick Kane, we we heard from people that are reporting on it that. He picked he picked Detroit because he wanted to be here. He could have picked Boston and played with Pashenak, which is a, that'd be a great idea for him because Pashenak's an absolutely phenomenal player. And he could have picked Vegas. Like, who doesn't want to live in Vegas? Like, am I stupid or are we both in a line and met there?
1: Oh yeah, and I'd be there in a minute if I only had enough money to continue playing in casinos all day.
0: So if you, <laughs> so if you. <laughs> If you
1: like Patrick will- Kane might, if he's a player, he might want to do that, right?
0: If you willingly pick Detroit, yeah, and you yeah. dealt with the Steve Eiserman or like the contract negotiations, I do not think that you're just trying to go where the money is. I have a feeling that like Patrick Kane is, is he's going to stay here for a couple years until his, his career is done. I think he likes it here. I think he's not really. I think he wants to stay in one place. You know, one of the reasons that you know New York was a team that was kind of a suitor for him was because he wanted to make he wanted to make where he was gonna he was gonna settle down a little bit you know what I'm saying he liked playing in Chicago for the long term but this last couple of years you know going to New York and come to Detroit and dealing with the hip injury I mean it's just it's just been stressful on him and probably it's people people he's close to so in my opinion there's nothing wrong with having a guy like Patrick Kane like if we're gonna be totally honest with each other there's no drawbacks Now, people can look at that whole situation where they kind of fell back and they were struggling. But that, like I said earlier in the podcast, that was when they played 16 games in 24 days. So this team was, they were dead beat tired. It's not an excuse. It's actually a fact. So this is some of the things that they've had to deal with during the stretch. And then they had a lot of injuries happen in December. And you're just not going to win hockey games like that. Like, this is not... Any team that deals with injuries, they're gonna struggle. I mean, we have we had the Edmonton Oilers in the last place for a long time, and now they're coming on and they're still out of a playoff spot. So that tells you everything about the NHL. You know, one day you're in the playoffs, one day you're out of the playoffs. That's how it goes, and you can't go these long walls of having a losses, and you know, you can't go this long period of time where you're you're struggling. And they went through a little period, but it wasn't that long. They made some made some considerable wins, and then. You know, you get to January and there's there's 6-0 and 1. So there's nothing more you can ask for. And obviously Patrick Kane's dealing with an injury right now, but he should be back, and it's not serious. That's what Coach Lone said. So I just look at this team and I go, there's so much potential for this team because they actually have you know some pieces that they could use. And they're a little bit they, they're a high-scoring team, which is gonna help you out tremendously when you get to the end of the the season. Because usually it's this. Outscoring your your opposition. That's how that's how it is. And I, all the people that are that are backtracking for this whole Patrick Kane is. It has been bad for the Red Wings. Just think about it like this, Cindy. You know this more than anybody in, in, in out there. When you bring in someone who is as successful as Patrick Kane, does it not, or does it, or does it help you out a ton? Knowing you can ask him for advice, you can ask him what he would do you can ask him what it's like to play in a playoff game you know and in, in a game 7 he knows he's one of the guys so that's that's why it's a huge deal
1: oh heck yeah absolutely i mean the 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 knowledge of the game and the experience you know it's been said many times there's no you know a substitute for experience and and it's true uh you can only learn so much from a book uh you can only learn so much from you know your 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 time Doing what you do until you come across, you know, just more environments, more circumstances, as you pointed out. And so I think Patrick Kane brings that in spades. And, you know, in addition to the fact that the guy is still producing, look at his production. It's just amazing. And so he brings value on so many levels. And I'll say this, too. I think one of the other things that may be getting discussed—not that I know—I'm just suggesting one of the things that could be getting discussed in his appeal, the appeal of Detroit. It's very possible that Patrick Kane has uh, that they're having conversations about a post-career career um, in in management or or in the front office or something like that, where. You know, Patrick Kane can have a, a you know a career after his hockey career is over, since so he's coming to the sunset of his career anyway. Um, you know, he's looking for that next thing, and and perhaps there's an opportunity in Detroit in that regard. I don't know, but he could certainly bring considerable value even after his playing days are over. And so, um, to explore that possibility, I think makes a lot of sense. But you know, the thing is that as we're Coming into this part of the season, I think that the Wings have made up some ground, which is great. That's how I look at this. This strength, it, it's helped them make up some ground that they have lost. But I think we also have to look forward to say, is this sustainable? Is it sustainable? You know, I don't want – here's what we end up hearing, right, Joe? That all of these, again, casual fans or just fair weather fans or whatever – as soon as the wings go on a little bit of a skid or maybe they lose a game, Hey, they got to come up against Carolina tomorrow. That could be a very, very tough game. They got to come up against Tampa Bay, Uh a tough game. Dallas Stars. I mean, they've got, they've got some very stiff competition coming up here. And if they happen to lose one of those games after being on such a, such a run here lately, then you're going to have people saying, Oh, well, forget it. You know, now they can't make the playoffs, you know, or whatever. Um, the sustainability they're going to lose sooner or later, mm-hmm. but it's how well they rebound. If they lose a game here too, let's see how they rebound. What, what is going to concern me is as we come, you know, into the um, all-star break that we at least keep in a positive territory, uh, yep. lose one or two. That's okay. If you go walk away with a, your, your 12 game, um, record being, you know, 10 and two, I'm good with that. And everybody else should be too. So I, you know, I don't want those out there to start losing the face and they start talking all this nonsense. As soon as one thing goes wrong, that could be an outlier and that happens. You're going to have those days. Not everything's going to be perfect. Nobody can maintain a perfect record by any stretch, but we just need to, it needs to be perfect enough, perfectly imperfect enough to just get us, into the into the playoffs and then it's a whole nother story Yeah. and i think the wings are on a good trajectory for that so i'm not looking for perfection i'm just looking for progress and i think we're seeing that and i do believe as you pointed out with the pieces the wings have now they will be able to sustain it i think a huge key to that is going to be a health as a healthy roster a healthy patrick kane a healthy DeBrinket, a healthy larkin and then a goaltender who continues to show up the way he has been. Those are going to be the, the keys we have to have.
0: Yeah, and I here's the thing. I know people they kind of go into this this side where they talk about how, you know, when when you're losing, everyone wants to think the sky is falling, right? And then when right. you're winning, everyone thinks it's great, like I just said that <laughs> a minute ago. But yeah. here's here's the thing about it. Like I look at this rugby team and all these stats they have. They bear out how good the Red Wings have been, and I think you know everyone draws conclusions off that December that they've had. They had where it was it wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't like a total, uh, you know, it wasn't a total loss. You know, last year when they went, they lost, they won four games in November, December. That was a total loss, but they have a they have a twelve a plus twelve gold differential right now. You know, they're they're second in shooting percentage, they're seventh and on, on shots. At, on um, goal against, so they're, they're playing really really good. They could get better in the faceoff circle. They're sixteenth in NHL, but you know what? You're you're gonna have. There's gonna be a moment where you guys are where the rubbings are hot as hell on the on the faceoff circle, and then there are twelfth in shots blocked, so they're not letting a lot of pucks get to the net. And that's that's what when I talk about the rubbings, I talk about that's exactly what I want to see from this team. The little things, shots blocked, faceoffs you know, get, getting shots on goal and in, in the shooting percentage being up, those win games. And I think a lot of these fans, that helped their soul. But they think a lot of times where if you lose a game to Carolina, right, if they lose tomorrow, it's not the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not the end of the world. You're going to lose some games to these these teams. I mean, the NHL is a, is a good product. There's a lot of teams in the NHL that on a nightly basis, the team that shouldn't win wins all the time and if you follow the and if you follow the betting trends i mean it's all over the place like the puck lines and the spreads and the whole over and under is like it's it's a you betting on nhl is like putting your money in a meat grinder if you do (laughs) if you do like a parlay like it just it that's how it is so like you know one minute you know just think about it like this cindy the last four games if you pick the red wings to win Three oh the three w- wins that they've had plus the puck line against the Edmonton Oilers. Do you know how much you could have made?
1: You're gonna make me sick now that I didn't bet this. Go ahead.
0: 450 off a ten dollar bet.
1: Wow, that's a hell of a return.
0: So, so that tells you how kind of topsy turvy this league is because even the betting markets, if you ever look at it, they don't even know what to say. There's sometimes where they, they have plus odds on the team that you're like, how the hell are they plus odds? And then next thing you know yeah they went and it's like the NHL is crazy this year it's it's literally nuts but you have teams like the Canadians doing good at times and the Blackhawks you know they can't score and there's it's Buffalo and Ottawa at the bottom of the division right now it's wild so like these people like to be in a position the Rubbings are in right now compared to what they were last year it's a hell oh, it's of a, it's, a, it's a hell of a difference yeah and just think, if you're in Toronto and you're below Detroit right now, let's think how you'd feel. I mean, the Rebels are not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, at this point in time, like, if you're a Rebels fan, you're playing with house money, you know? You're going to have a shot to make the playoffs, and I think that they will make the playoffs in the end. That's my my take.
1: I think they're going to squeak in. I do. Um, my i got some concern about so long. You know, it's it's got the asterisk by it, right? If we can stay healthy, because really you get an, a significant injury to any, a couple of those key players and, and it changes the whole, you know, the whole landscape changes. So got to stay healthy.
0: I tell us about everything. Like if you, if you succumb to injuries, like, like you just said, like if you have a couple injuries that are pretty huge, like Larkin misses a few weeks or uh, the Brinkett misses a month, then yeah you're gonna struggle you know you're gonna struggle it's, well it's that's just... the
1: other thing Joe. you know I'm hoping that we're banking some of these wins and that, that are unexpected to kind of hedge our bets against that kind of thing happening you know what I mean um i'm I'm with you we lose we got a 50 50 shot to win against carolina if you look at the historical data you know they're yeah. they're they're on a stretch. Uh, they're going to, but you know, they've been at home a long time, so they should be pretty rested. But when you look at the wings' record against the Carolina Hurricanes, they got a 50 50 shot there in, in Carolina. And then when they come back, they start that five game home ice advantage. Yep. So, so that that could be huge too, um, because they've got a, a pretty good shot against Tampa Bay. You know, they're four and one in the la- at home, the last uh, five home games against Tampa Bay, they win four out of five. Yep. And, when you're looking at the you know upcoming game against the Dallas Stars, that one, I'll be honest, it scares me a little bit. I said that's the one I most likely expected to tie in because of the record that Dallas has when they come here. They're kind of a little bit of our kryptonite. We've only won one game in the last 10 against Dallas. But what makes it interesting, here's what makes this game interesting to me. And you look at the plus minus on uh, Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinket against the Dallas Stars. Kane is a plus 17, and the Cat is plus 11. So that is a really interesting dynamic to see how much influence that's going to have in this Dallas Stars game on home ice. So that's a very interesting game, and it could, and I think, you know, could tip the scales. So you've got some real possibilities and opportunities coming up here to stack up some more points uh, that might hedge against future, you know, events like injuries, like, um, unexpected losses, um, whatever. Um, there's another thing I want to talk to you about. So the sustainability, I'm a little concerned about staying healthy, concerned about making sure our goaltenders stay hot. That's going to be important. But this one, Joe is something that you are very, very, uh, qualified to talk about and and that is the Detroit Lions effect on the Detroit Red Wings. You know, I've been seeing it all over the media how tight the Red Wings and the Lions are just organizationally even though they're owned by two different owners. Yeah. They just they're very supportive of each other. They 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 feed off of one another and I think that this last win streak has a, has perhaps quite a bit of influence by the Detroit Lions success on the Detroit Red Wings, and if the Detroit Lions go further and let's say, uh, God help us all, uh, because we're all going to have collective heart attacks and euphoria, if they should go to the Super Bowl and win it, because I know that's their goal. Dan Campbell said as much. From the very beginning of the season, their goal was to win the Super Bowl. It wasn't, you know. So these guys are so focused. They're so dialed in. They're so on fire. They've got so much momentum. The impact that the Detroit Lions season ending, whether it's good or whether it's disappointing at the end of the day, what effect is that going to have on the Detroit Red Wings? You see, the Detroit Lions have a very solid identity. They have from the start. We talked about the Red Wings not quite having that identity yet. They're still kind of a looser confederation of just talented players. But have they formed an identity? And what impact will the Detroit Lions' season have on the Detroit Red Wings? Go.
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. I go back to the whole Boston effect. You know, David Ortiz once said when uh, when the Red Sox were making their run to the World Series uh, that one year, and the Patriots won the Super Bowl that that year, he says no one wants to be the worst team in Boston. And I feel like. If you're a Detroit team, if you're the Red Wings, if you're the Tigers, well, the Pistons suck, so it don't matter about that. So no one's touching them. them. But winning, <laughs> winning's contagious, you know. And this yeah. is a, and this is in, in in a great sports city like Detroit. You know the fans are behind you. They're gonna sell you the place out. They're gonna be rabid fans. They're always gonna, you know, be there to support the hell out of you. It's contagious. And you know, I think one of the reasons that Patrick Kane chose here was because it's an original six franchise. It's a proud franchise. And, you know, that they know just as much as anybody that they need to start winning. And, you know, Lil' Lone is saying that t- today on the nice and won the ticket. And I just think that, the, you know, the, the the Lions effect on the Red Wings in that term, it, it's it's you want to do, do good too because you want to get people excited about your team. You know what I'm saying? Like if I was on the Red Wings oh, right yeah. now and I was watching the Lions and I was like, because we got a lot of Michigan people on this this team. We got Larkin, DeBranket, you know, guys that are, are Michigan kids through and through. Yeah. And I, and I just look at it like this. If I see the Lions winning and I'm a Red Wing player, I want to win. If I see the if I see the Lions winning and I'm a Tigers player, I want to win. Like when we, the season starts, I can't wait because what's happening at Ford Field is they are packing that place to the gills. You know, they're loud. You know, these these rubbings fancy, they've been waiting a long time to get back in the playoffs. And same with the Tigers fans. They've been doing the same thing. So, yeah, it does have an effect on you, because if you're a competitive person and you're thinking about how is how, you know, how are we going to you know keep this going? And, you know, let's let's transfer the energy when the football season ends to hockey. The perfect it's a perfect that's what you want to do because these fans are going to gravitate towards you because you know you're one of the you're one of the best teams in the city like you you are if you're a Robbins player you're really, you're you're literally the only show in town after full, football ends so people are going to gravitate towards you anyways and the way that you keep them there is by winning and going to the playoffs
1: so let me ask you this so do you think then given that would you say that the Red Wings' recent success, that their run, has been influenced by the success of the Detroit Lions in the last several weeks.
0: I mean, it could help, yeah. But I think yeah. more, I think more in more and more on the rubbing side, they would just they just wanted to win, like they wanted to get back to playing the hockey that they were they were playing. And I think that you know, obviously, seeing teams like the Lions win, uh, yeah, it does it does bring a competitive you know fire to you cuz you know what the lions players are feeling right now with the playoffs and every game matters and you want to be in that position. I don't care who you are, I don't care what sport you play. You want to be in the playoffs and you want to be in the dance. And I think this is a good it's a good thing for the rubbins to look at and go, okay, just a few years the lions are rebuilding. You know, we're 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 past that point. We sold off some pieces last year. It's our time to go to the playoffs. You know, because You'll be the only show in town. The Pistons aren't making the playoffs, and the Tigers will just be starting their season in April. So we won't know what they are. So obviously, these fans are gonna gravitate towards you. And if I'm a competitive person, like I said a hundred times, obviously it's gonna burn a fire in your ass. Like you want to right. you, you want to be like the next team that like goes to the playoffs, makes this team this city excited about a team, you know. No one really gets excited, you know. If you're unless you're a diehard rubbings fan. And I know there's a ton of them out there. But unless you're a diehard rubbings fan, there's a lot of people that they, like, say, wake me up at the playoffs. Well, the past couple of years, there hasn't been a playoff. So, you know, the rubbings are, they want to get back there. Like, that's just the reality. And once you get in the NHL playoffs, it's like the NFL playoffs. You have all the shot in the world. Like, there is no There is no team that's, like, oh, they're definitely going to the Stanley Cup final. You know what I'm saying? No one said that about the Florida Panthers last year. I could tell you that for damn certain. That's right. So you just want to get in, and I think that, you know, Lalone being so close with Dan Campbell, that's, you know, I've heard I've heard him say that a couple of times. Um, you know, I think that, that the infection of, you know, success is, is huge for these teams unless you're the Pistons because the Pistons suck and they're horrible
1: i think that's a culture problem over there in terms of just their probably uh, yeah I, I think they just you know they got to do a wholesale change over there and just to change that culture to get them back to being that an identity bad boys you know get getting it done getting well, gritty and it
0: always it always starts with ownership
1: it does a it lot does. of people
0: a lot of people clown on chris illage because you know the team hasn't been good while he's been the owner but They've been in rebuilds, if we're going to be honest. Like, I mean, he kind of waited a little too long to fire Al Avila, but, you know, this is that's not the pod for this. But, right. <laughs> you know, he made the decision to go get Steve Eisman You know, he made a decision to, you know, to put some fire into the organization. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that there's no owner in sports that goes, unless you're Tom Gores, that goes, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly content just playing 82 games or 44 games at home. No. Right. Like, think about it as a capitalist. Like, oh, I get playoff games and playoff revenue? That's right. Even better. You know, there's no there's no owner that's going, <laughs> oh, darn, we didn't make the playoffs. Oh, well. You know, I'm, there's no owner that's doing it. Like, unless they're an idiot and they are they sucked for a long time. But I'm pretty sure Steve Eiserman wouldn't fly for that. I'm pretty sure Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell wouldn't fly for that and it sounds like the, it sounds like the tigers general manager he wouldn't fly for that either and aj hinch wouldn't fly for that so when you have good people in your organization like the gm the coach you know they and they align with the owner you're going to have success it's just going to happen
1: well i'll tell you you know one thing i do think that uh, chris ilich did and you, and you kind of mentioned uh, Al Avila, you know, and this, that's not the pod for this because that's obviously in our Tigers pod. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do think I do think Chris Illich and I like Jeff Blashell, but I think he held Blash a little uh, a year or two too long. Uh yeah. probably should have should have made that change earlier um, and that would have would have had us a, a year or two ahead of the rebuild. But you know what? Everything happens how it's meant to happen what I think happened or the impact of the Detroit lions success, I think what the Detroit lions have done is they have really raised the bar in the level of expectation for the fans in this city. You know, yep. they're saying, look, you know, now this is who, did, who they've set the bar. They've set a, a new standard for what Detroit sports are. You know, they've been, I don't say losers for the last five, six, seven years, the Detroit lions losers, even longer than that. Yep. You know, they, they just were not accustomed to winning. Well, now, people have a, they've gotten a, a taste of it. It's like blood in the water and they yep. want more of that. Right. They got, they, they need their fix now. Cause they got it, you know, from the, they got used to the, liking this winning thing. And so, and they've helped reestablish an identity of being winners, not being losers. Yep. Um, all the credit in the world, by the way, to Dan Campbell for that. I mean, he, and, and he's been absolutely unbelievable. And he gives a lot of credit to Brad Holmes and and God bless him for that. I think it's a team. It truly, truly is a team effort over there. And I think the Red Wings have begun to start adopting that. I'm just, I just don't think it's, we're quite seeing it yet, but I do think they are making those internal changes and they are responding to this heightened level of expectation. And that's what I expect. To see as we continue forward, you know, Alex Lyon yesterday, uh, post game interview had something very, very wise to say, and I and I give him a lot of credit for saying this. You know, they asked him, well, you know, what do you think? You know, you've been you know really hot lately. You've been doing really well. The Red Wings are doing great. What do you think of that? And he basically said, yeah, I mean, we like the fact that we're winning, but he also knows it doesn't come for free. Yep, and he knows that they're gonna that the moment that they look at it and say, okay, now we can kind of you know, let the momentum carry us. That's when everything t- goes to hell. I mean, he didn't say it, but that's when everything starts to go the other way. And he's right. He's yep. right. It's not that the momentum is carrying you. You are propelling the momentum. You're creating that momentum. And once you stop creating the momentum with your effort and your, your, your commitment and all that stuff, but when you stop doing that, then the momentum ceases. You know it ebbs. It goes the other way, and then you got to work twice as hard to get it back to where it was. So you know when you're when you're when you're already going, you know Mach three, you got to hit the accelerator and hit the knocks and go Mach five. I mean that's you don't just coast. That would yep. be the mistake. And Alex Lyon said that. So so long as they recognize that and they're working off of that theory. Not just a theory, but I mean, you're working off of, of that mentality because it's not just a theory; it's actually true. Um, if that's where you're working from, then that gives me hope for what the Red Wings are going to do going forward. If the rest of the team shares that sentiment, because because he's 100 percent correct.
0: Well, I'm sure they do because just think of it like this, Cindy. If you're the Red Wings and you're Alex Lyon, and or you're any of the you're any of those players, you know the one thing you're saying to yourself is okay, we have to keep going or else when we don't keep going, that's when we're gonna fall into a little bit of a trap. We're gonna fi- we're gonna find ourselves losing a lot of games and we're just not going to be a hungry team. And you know one of the things I did like what Lalone said a couple games ago in the post game was you know this has to be this has to be the effort and the style that we play for the rest of the year. You know, they got – and the thing about it, you know, we talk about Patrick Kane, his championship experience, Cindy, But the reality is they have a couple guys on the team that, you know, if you're a young player you lean up against and you go, all right, what do we do here? Well, we're going to keep going. We're going to make our own momentum. That's what they're going to say because the guys like David Perron and Patrick Kane and, you know uh, – Billy Huso or, you know, someone like that, you know, the, all these, the veterans that they have, you know, Petrie, he wanted Stanley Cup. They're all going to say the same thing because they know they've been there. Right. And he, that's why I think Steve Eiserman went the route he did this year and made the team a little bit older just because he wants to get these young players in the playoffs. That's what he wants.
1: Yep. No doubt. No doubt, because he knows those are his stampi- Stanley Cup champions in waiting. They just needed the guidance of guys who had been there. No doubt about it. I think, we, you know, we said that we we're pretty emphatic about that at the beginning of the season. You know, and it's interesting because I was listening to the the broadcast the other day, and I don't know if it was John Keats or – I don't know if it was Keats or if it was um, Mickey Redmond. One of them – it might have been Keats – said – You know, we're going to look back at the end of the season. If we see that there's been a a real pivotal moment, it's going to be like these two games, you know, these last couple of games. And I can appreciate their perspective on that. I have a little bit of a different opinion. I think the pivotal moment for me was when they swept the West Coast because that hadn't happened in years and years and years. I mean, that showed a dramatic shift in this team and and so to me you know I cringed every time they got to go out to the west coast but when they came back victorious to me that was the turning point I'll be honest with you um so maybe they're right maybe maybe I'm wrong but for me I'm always going to see that west coast uh trip to be the the turning point of the season
0: well I think what they said is is legitimate and what you're saying is legitimate too i cuz here's the thing if you're if you ever if you've ever played sports at any amount of time, you played hockey or baseball or football or whatever, basketball. There's been a point in your your career or when you were playing where you you sat back and you go, if we would have just won those three games on the west coast, right? Like you're saying, or like John Keating was saying, if they just won those last those two in the middle, you know the two uh, home games where they played you know they played they played toronto on a on the road and they played la at home you know those those are two pivotal games and you could change the course of your season that way i think what you're both saying is the same thing pretty much it's subjective because i think it's like okay like there's you know you have the west coast trip they might have you know those two games last weekend it's subjective but i think that everyone has those opinions like where does this where's where does the season start you know what i'm saying like where does where does the season take off or where where does the season fall off that's where you look at like i'm sure the edmonton oilers are looking at that right now they're like saying how did we start this streak that we've been on and how do we continue it and then you know if they were losing like you know ottawa is they go what game really set the tone of where we are right now Like, that's the point of the matter. Like, I think both of you guys are on the same terms. Like, the fact of the matter is this, you're going to look back at some point in your season and you're going to be like, wow, we could have won that game and that could have got us in the playoffs. Like, we are four points out. We missed those four points. You know,
1: that's just how it is. Well, you know, one of the the other words I'm hearing them talk about, and there's a lot of defining moments. I think in every any, any situ, you know, long term situation like a season or 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 a campaign year or whatever, you know, you have those pivotal moments where uh, they're just defining moments in, in the in the course of the the event. Yep. But one of the one of the words they've started to use lately, which I think may. Be, begin to define the identity that we talked about is that they're using the term resilient. Boy, this team is resilient. Look how resilient they are. And I like that. And the reason I like it and I would love for them to build an identity around being resilient is because to me, resilience says it's not what how you perform when things are going well. It's how do you perform when things are not going well, when things have turned against you, when you're down, you know, when you're against the clock, when you're down by a goal, when you're, you know, when, when you and it just drives me crazy when the wings do this, when they tie it up and then, you know, within a minute, 30 seconds, they come back and answer it. and Now you're down again. You're right back where you were. I mean, how demoralizing does that have to be? How many times does that happen to the wings where they tie it up, they get even or they get ahead and then that gain is taken away almost immediately? You've got to have some, an enormous amount of resiliency to be able to come back, not let that bother you or demoralize you and get, and get that lead back or get back even or whatever. And that I I think is one of their defining characteristics that if they can build an identity around that rally around that, build momentum around that, um, and have that lend into that confidence level that that's who they are. So it doesn't matter how crappy things are going. It doesn't matter what, how many bad calls there are. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. None of those crappy conditions matter because they are resilient. They believe in that. They know that's who they are, and they know they're going to come back and win it. It's just a matter of knowing you're going to come back because that's who you are as a team. So I like their, that they're using that word, and I would love for the Wings to build an identity around it.
0: Well, I think all good teams are resilient. I just do. I think you have to be resilient no matter how you slice it, uh, in life or sports or whatever you want to do. You got to be resilient because at some point in the matter, there's 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 things that are going to come your way that you're not going to be expecting, and they're going to suck. They're going to totally suck. But the whole thing about it is you have to continue to move forward and kind of figure it, figure it out. And what I can say about this Red Wings team right now as we stand is I see a collection of offensive players that have turned into more defensive players. And that right there tells me everything I need to know about this coaching staff. Because I see guys like Daniel Sprong be more active on the defensive side. I see guys like Lucas Raymond being more active on the defensive side. to brink it, being more active on the defensive side. When you're an offensive player like they are, I think when you're an offensive player like they are, you're less you're less likely to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go play defense 110%. But that's how successful teams are made. Like if you look at all the successful teams, they play the same way. And I think one of the characteristics of being a successful team is resiliency, obviously, because at some point things are not going to go your way and you're going to have to kind of weather the storm and be all right. I mean, look at the St. Louis blues a couple years ago where they, they were in the last place in the Western conference and they went to the Stanley cup and, and made the Stanley cup finals and, and won it. You know, you look at Florida last year, they were a team that were struggling for a while and then, the last couple games, they turned it on and they made the playoffs and went to the Stanley Cup final and beat the Boston Bruins in the first round. Like you kind of expect, like you said they would. Like, <laughs> how think, how like, good
1: of you? How good of you to remind everyone of that?
0: Well, I got three you,
1: for three, by the way, in calling Stanley Cup champion winners last three game, three years, three for three.
0: Oh, well hopefully uh you say Detroit 4-4. Uh, now, I, I do th- I do think what the Ravens are doing they're, they're resilient as hell. Um, you know, some of it's to their own detriment, you know, sometimes they do it to themselves, but they do come back. with they do come back and that's that's a credit to coaching, man. Like this team would have never done it if they were under Jeff Blaschel. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. And there's a lot of coaches in the league that can't get that fire out of these guys. You know, they can't get fired on their own team. So look, I look at it like this, Cindy. They're a resilient bunch. They've had a good, they've had a good stretch here lately, but I think they're I think they're heading the bigger and better things. And that's my opinion.
1: I think you're right. I think they are heading not only toward a playoff spot this year, this season, but I think that you're gonna start to see the Iser plan coming together and you're going to see, you know, repetitive years where they're making the playoffs until they finally do solidify a legacy as champions. And so that's what I see coming. Uh, Now, like I said, my friends who are not such fans of the Iser plan um, uh, would, would argue that with me, but we'll, we'll see where it lands. But that's where I see it going. It's certainly trending that way. Um
0: You know what I call people who aren't fans of the Iser plan?
1: What? They're dopes. <laughs> like, well, here's what they think. They think that if Steve Eiserman's plan was working, that it should have that he's basically three years behind. And um, you know, he should have they they should have been in this position three years ago. I'm saying this, I think he had a lot of factors out of his control, Um, you know, and he had a lot of factors that, you know, hey, I'm not saying the guy didn't maybe make mistakes. We don't even know what they are. Maybe he passed on some opportunities he could have taken. I don't know. But overall, he knows where he's going. He's got the vision of what he wants. And if it's taking longer, sometimes it takes longer. I've been working on one of the going to be one of the best selling hockey novels in the history of hockey
0: novels
1: (laughs) for five years. You know what I said on Darren McCarty's show four years ago, Joe, or five years ago when I was about six months into it, he said, Cindy, about how long do you think it's going to be before we're going to see this great hockey novel? That's just brilliant coming. And I said, I think it's going to be about a year. I was wrong. I was off by three and a half years. So, (laughs) so, um, you know, even the best laid plans and, and even some of the most committed, um, most, you know, highly skilled people. And I'm not saying all that, but the point is sometimes things happen that life gets yep. in the way or, in, you know, circumstances get in the way you can't control. And so I think really that's what Steve Eisenman is fighting against. He had to deal with COVID. He had to deal with personnel changes he couldn't control. He had contracts and um, other restrictions that he had, he could do nothing about. So I, 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 I don't really, I don't really take that. I don't think that it would have been reasonable and I don't think it was expected for Steve Eiserman to have this, uh, to have this kind of season three years ago. I, I really don't see how he could have done it, but it doesn't matter. We're here now. So what difference does it make if it took him three more years?
0: Well, I look at it like this. I think a lot of people, they gloss over the fact that there was COVID, which had a huge hamper on the hockey like industry. If you go ask the general managers how big COVID was in terms of these AHL players' development, the juniors' development, you know, the only league that was playing was the Swedish League Hockey League. I mean, it, that's all part of it. Then you had the expansion draft where, you know, Seattle was coming in. And you had to protect players. And the reason you couldn't bring up a guy like Sider earlier or Raymond earlier or s- someone that you wanted to bring up is because you wanted to protect them at all costs. And you only had certain spots to protect. That's what I'm. That's that's kind of the main dish, and I think a lot of people over they overlooked that. And then you know, there's this whole fallacy that these 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 stupid old head hockey people talk about, and it's it's like it's so stupid. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Oh, you can rebuild in like three years. No, you you can't. Like what Ken Holland said about rebuilds take five to seven years in the NHL, with the salary cap the way it is, it absolutely does. Because you cannot bring up some of these, you know, these star rookies early because if you bring them up way too early, you're you're in the same situation as Toronto Maple Leafs right now where you're paying four players a collective $45, $50 million and you have no room to, to spread it around. That's kind of the things that these general managers have to look at. Like, it's not just a cut and dry, like, fantasy hockey team bullshit where you have to, like... Oh, we're gonna bring up this player. He's gonna be great. We're gonna bring up this guy. He's gonna be great. Well, how are you gonna pay him? Because I can tell you right now, the one thing that's screwing the NHL over right now is the salary cap. Salary cap is killing this league. It should actually be the, like abolished the whole salary cap situation. And I don't care if these little these little pet teams want to talk about how oh we can't afford to pay. We can't afford to be as good as the 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 high the higher you know the higher you know salary teams like if it was the Red Wings or the Rangers or the Bruins, well then sell your team, get the hell out.
1: Right. Move your team. If you're not in a market, that's making money. I agree with you. I never understood that. You know, they tried to use that argument, you know, with the New York Yankees back in the day. And they say, Oh, well, look at the New York Yankees. They've got the market. They've got this or that. And that's why they can afford to buy their team. They often said, Oh, I don't like George Steinbrenner. Cause he buys his team every year. Well, you know what? That's one of the factors you got to work around now, doesn't it? Because it doesn't, that doesn't mean just because you bought talented players. We've talked about it ad nauseum, all the intangibles, all the other impacts that create a championship team. You don't have to have the best players. You got to have the right players. Every good coach has said that. Every experience, every championship coach knows this. Yep. So right. it, 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 I think that that's a nonsense argument as well. I'm with you on that one. I've never been in favor of any organization trying to stack the deck or or level the playing field, it is what it is. Here's the field. Here's the field of battle. You wanna come into this arena, then you need to be prepared for what you're walking into, and you need to make adjustments accordingly. Play onto your strengths, and 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 try to downplay your weaknesses, or, or uh, you know mitigate your weaknesses as best as possible. And that's different for everybody. I'm with you. You're not if you don't think it's fair, get the hell out, move your team, or do something else.
0: Well, it's like, okay, the NFL does it the right way. They have a salary cap, but it rises every year significantly. The The teams that are in, like, the smaller markets, they don't care because they know if they they play their cards right, they're going to be in the playoffs. Like, a Green Bay Packers, you know, type team, they're not owned by anybody. They're, they're owned by, like, the stockholders and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And they pay players, and they're always good because why? Because they make the right roster decisions. And, you know, I think it was – Six years straight that in the NHL, the team that spent the most in free agency didn't make the playoffs. I think it's ten years straight that a team that spent the most in the NFL didn't make the playoffs. Like that's just that's wow factor that that just goes to show you you can't just buy talent. Like that's not the way it works. It's it, it's literally goes against everything that you hear from anybody who has ever played the game. But the fact of the matter is this: the you know, NHL is killing itself because. These Canadian teams, I feel so bad for. If I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, I'd be so pissed because my team is going to get ravaged by the cap. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup like that, and I think that's all the factors that lead to these long rebuilds for like the Red Wings and the bot in the Buffalo Sabers and the Ottawa Senators. Like all of it plays a factor. If you don't think it plays a factor, you're an idiot. That's just the way it is. Like this salary cap is makes these general managers think, okay. I can't go get the player that I want because I might have to pay this player or I might have to pay my, my, you know, rookie, my third year defenseman, Mo Sider, who, who's going to ask for like $10.5 million and I'm going to pay him. That's what they look at. Like that's, that's, that's why the salary cap has hurt this league. It just has.
1: Well, and there's no doubt that Steve Eisman is going to have to write some pretty big checks uh, and for guys who fully earned it and Sider one of them. He's going to get, he's going to give Sider whatever he wants. Um, yeah. And, and that's just the that's just how it's gonna be. But there's a lot of factors that go into creating a winning team. The biggest thing is culture, the second yep. thing, yeah, you know, biggest is culture, then you got identity and um and, and then you gotta hope for a little bit of luck and, and and a ton of momentum. Confidence bleeds into that and all that kind of stuff. So there's a whole lot of things that go into a championship team. And I think we're seeing the Red Wings start to demonstrate a lot of those elements. We just gotta hope it keeps going, Joe. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll tell you this, Cindy. I think it's going to keep going, and I think that the way that they've been playing lately with the defensive hockey and everything, I think they're starting to come into their own identity. And um, I truly think that last year's season for David Perron and all these guys really, really wrote home with them, and they they don't want to miss the playoffs again. Like, they just don't. And I think um, you brought Patrick Kane in here to make the playoffs and make a little bit of a run, you know, maybe win a playoff series or something, you know, just beat someone. Because I don't think that they're, you know, I think Patrick Kane is going to come in that room. And the one thing is he does demonstrate for the team. We talked about this earlier, but he does demonstrate credibility and where he's been and what he's done. And I think these young players like Lucas Raymond and, you know, Larkin, and we obviously know the Brinkett was there with Kane, but like all these young players are going to look to him. You know, and then all these players are going to look at Jeff Petrie, and all these players are going to look at David Huron. It's that's just the way it goes. So that's that's a good that's a good thing that grow in that locker room.
1: These guys ain't playing. That's for sure. They came here to do business. They're serious, and uh, they're heroes to a lot of these young players. They they watch them growing up, and they probably have to pinch themselves standing in the locker room. You know, in, in their stall next to the guy. You know they can't believe that they're sitting, standing next to Patrick Kane or Alex DeBrink or David Perron or whatever, and um, no doubt that has an impact. And Joe, I'm hoping the next time we talk, we got four out of the next five wins under our belt.
0: Yeah, well, the next four games are going to be tough, Cindy. Uh, when you look at the schedule, I mean, uh, you got the Hurricanes tomorrow. It's gonna be tough. You are on the road, but then you got the Lightning and uh, Red Wings, which it's interesting because. The last time that an NFL playoff team and an NHL team had played the same team from the same city had been back in like 1963.
1: Yeah, isn't that nuts? We didn't even talk about it. the coincidence there is extraordinary. They're playing
0: 1963.
1: That it says the, the same city at home, same day.
0: Yep. Or the same weekend or whatever. Or
1: weekend. Yeah, yeah. same weekend. Yeah.
0: One so, Saturday, one Sunday. So so uh, I look at that and I go, Man, that's crazy because that hasn't happened since nineteen sixty three. I think it was the think it was the Patriots and the Patriots and the Bruins that had that happen though. And I'm forgetting the games on the surface, but they got the lightning and then they got the stars, like you you talked about the stars. I'm pretty sure we'll maybe do a podcast next Wednesday, so we'll talk about those three games in conjunction. But when you look at these um These last six games, you know, up until the last of January, there's some winnable games for the Red Wings. Obviously, we talked about they're going to be at the homestead. So that's going to help them out. But you know what, Cindy? This is a good chance for the Red Wings to kind of go on this little bit of a run and make some hay with what they're doing because they've been playing hockey the right way, and that's all you could say.
1: That's it. Defe- defense, defense, defense. Just keep playing defensive hockey. Keep playing defensive hockey. Keep the pressure on offensively, and 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 just mind your net. And that's it. I mean, it sounds simple, but but that's all it's going to take. You just have to keep doing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll say another thing before we head out and uh, end the podcast. Um, I think that having Huso back and him not playing as many games as he played last year is going to pay dividends at the end of the year. I'll guarantee you something. I think that by the end of the year, Huso takes the number one goalie spot, and I think he goes on a heater. Because, you know, I know as a goaltender, if you if you play less games, you're going to be more energized to play. And some of these goaltenders have played 60, 50 games, and you're probably going to play, what, 30 or 40? You're going to have 20 games on them that you d- d- didn't get wore out. So I, down the stretch, looked as that as a factor.
1: Well, that'll be great timing, and I hope you're right because that's when they're going to need him. They're going to need some some fresh, um, you know, fresh limbs and fresh eyes in net, uh, especially if they they're really you know riding lion pretty heavily, uh, relying on him. They're going to need that. So I hope yep. you're right.
0: All right. So that's the end of the Red Red Alert podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Um, we didn't go live on Facebook because, well, I don't think neither one of us was feeling going live on Facebook <laughs> today um especially it's
1: with- all good we, we we're, we're 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 people of mystery today joe we're being very mysterious it's it's a lot of uh vocal talent today as opposed to to visual
0: yeah well sometimes that's, that's awesome. good that's sometimes that's good but uh we'll go back to that you know soon but uh the fact, yeah. that, the fact of the matter is this the rubbings have played really really freaking good and we had to get a podcast in because this team is playing outstanding you bet all right, Cindy, well, see you guys, everyone. Uh, we'll see you in the next podcast. We talk more about Ravens hockey and Red Alert, a Detroit Ravens podcast.
1: See you then.